ancestral uh, legacy trauma, and uh, she does that work. You're using Quero shamanism, Reiki, and other modalities that uh, she's learned on her path over the years, and uh, she helps herself with that, and she helps others, and she shares her experience and lessons to help others create their own ancestral healing journey. A very generous and talented woman. Um, Crystal, welcome back to Voices of the Sacred Feminine. Hi, Karen. I'm glad to be back. Thank you. Thank you for being with me. And um, I wonder, do you think um, maybe, uh, and I don't know the answer to this, um, do you think this time of year, um, you know, brings up a lot of stuff that uh, ancestral healing could, uh, you know, possibly help with? Oh, definitely. Not only is it the dark time of the year between Salon and Imbolc um, from October until February, um, we've got all the family holidays. And if nothing else brings up family trauma, uh, getting together on a table, around a table, or not being included in those kinds of celebrations brings up all kinds of trauma. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, uh, if you listen to the hype out there, it, you know, it's like everybody's having this wonderful time, but uh, it really is uh, a time of struggle and uh, and grief and challenges. And, uh, you know, that sort of just gets uh, swept under the rug a bit, and that's unfortunate. So um, how would you say your personal healing work uh, changed um you know, doing this ancestral healing, you know, over the pandemic and since the pandemic? Well, you know, it, it, when you talk about the trauma, and as I mentioned, not being included, um, I live in Los Angeles. Um, I live here because there is no family here for me. Um, and that used to be um, more onerous than it is now. Now, I just remember that sometimes it's healthier for me not to be near family. And, um, and be okay with that and really enjoy my day with chosen family. Um, and we took a hike up in the mountains and um, a, a very spiritual hike out in the mountains on Christmas day, which felt a whole lot better than an uncomfortable um, dinner with people I may or may not enjoy being with. Um, and so that's been a journey to get there because trust me, um, I had a lot of resentment and a lot of pain um, from uh, an uncomfortable family divorce that really separated me from not only my uh, immediate family, but my extended family. In fact, I, I feel that the loss of connection to extended family was a bigger trauma than my mom walking out. It was mom taking my connection with other family and and not having that connection that's probably been the most painful um, but it's my work with this that, that actually has um, resolved a lot of that discomfort. Yeah. Well, and, um, you know, it, it, uh, and I realized in this moment that uh, I haven't asked you, uh, and I should have, uh, to explain what ancestral healing is um, uh, because I know about it. I've had one of your healing sessions, which helped me tremendously. But for somebody who's maybe just hearing this, you know, maybe they're scratching their head and they're going, ancestral healing, what's that? You know, is it just the people that, um, you know, sit around the, the table with us that make us uncomfortable or love us, or does it go back into the past? So anyway, describe that a little bit, you know, kind of define what ancestral healing is. Well, the first part of that is describing what ancestors are, and that's really important to me because it is so much more than the people who have affected us in our current lifetimes. Um, it's certainly the people genetically that we're connected with um, that we've known, um, but I like to tell people that's such a drop in the bucket, literally a drop in the ocean of our ancestors um, because it's those that are tied by genetics and tied by genetics goes back thousands of years. Um, and and it, if you've ever seen a chart, I've seen a couple charts Ten generations back, you're talking about thousands of people. Um, and 
but so those genetic ties, I also say that if there's adoptions, both yourself and other adoptions through your family line, uh, marriages, and in my case, um, my parents were married, mom's on her fourth, dad had three, I've had three. Um, that's a lot of marriages. That creates a lot of ties. And the, thought, the, the last one is close emotional and spiritual ties. Um, and we'll talk a little bit more about that, but I don't have biological children, but I have people who I consider chosen family. And when they are chosen family, I get to inherit that. Um, and, and I have. Um, so the healing self, healing itself is so diverse, so um, intertwined with um, our historical past and, and our experiences. Um, I like to say that if there's a thread that I can use for ancestral healing, I will. So prayer works. A cup of tea works. My own work that I do with um, clients is a lot of energy and sound and prayer. Um, that's pretty much the, the, the key factors to that. Um, I mentioned Caro uh, uh, is a form of one of many forms of Peruvian shamanic practice. It's from the mountainous regions up by Machu Picchu um, and on the border with Ecuador. Um, also, um, my Reiki practice, um, I was already doing this work when I became Reiki attuned. So I asked the Ascended Masters and guides of Reiki to um, inform and amplify my ancestral healing practice. Um, I make a joke. I can help you with a headache, but it's not really what I do. Um, I plug into the third etheric field, which is where the Akashic records are where ancestral memory is, and therefore it's obvious that ancestral trauma would reside there. And it's that space that's about, I don't know, um, 12 to 24 inches out from your body. Um, another joke I make is, you know, when you meet, and not so joking, you know, when you meet somebody and you feel like you've known them forever, that's those fields hitting. When you meet somebody and you don't want anything to do with them, you don't want them anywhere near you, that also can be ancestral trauma. So um, that healing work doesn't forgive in what we would think in Western culture. It resolves the trauma that is being continued down the bloodlines in the, in the family lines. Um, uh, Orion Foxwood is one of has one of the practices he taught me. One of the practices called the River of Blood, and that's literally a, a, a meditation that goes down into our own bloodline and pulls out ancestral problems that are floating in that river and causing mm. mayhem and chaos. So um, that's one of a variety of practices I do and and share with others. Um, and that one's interesting because we can't really go into much detail with that because I don't want to mess up the recording. And I, the, anybody who's ever tried to record that, um, it messes up the whole re the recording because it's a um, um, verbal transmission only uh, practice. Hmm. Um, and that's my experience. It's kind of funny. I can have certain Weird. things recorded, but that's one I can't. So we're, I'm, if, if somebody has <laughs> questions more about that, um, they are welcome to contact me and we'll talk about how to contact me later. Um, but um, I'm using the metaphor of it is that we don't need that floating in the, in, in the bloodline any more than we need infection, do we? So, so, so let the, me just let me just clarify here. So you are literally saying that when someone engages uh, in a, a ancestral healing practice, or you as a practitioner engage with them, they are able to actually go back, connect with an ancestor, find an issue 
that may uh, have happened in that ancestor's life that has a thread to us today and is maybe negatively affecting our life, our health, our emotional stability, something along those lines. I mean, it gets that specific. Is that what you're saying? It can. It can. Um, I don't often – there are times where we know exactly what we're working on, and it tends to be more – expressed in patterns. Addiction is a pattern. The pattern in my family was um, betrayal. And that's quite a a pattern that you see that weaves back and forth between the betrayed and the betrayer. And and, and it it was quite knotted, you might say. Um, But that um, sometimes people come with very, very specific issues. Some people just know and and, um, I often use the tagline, if you've done, you know, you're a healer or you have a, uh, done all the healing on yourself that you can think of and that comes through your path and you're like, something's still not okay. It might not be your stuff, but you're carrying it. And so I've often worked with people who have done extensive healing, either as healers themselves or with healers, and this has been the last bump that was like, no matter what they did, that that was still connected to them. And this has gotten that out of the way. And, and it's always been um, really um, heartening and certainly keeps me on the work I do when I don't hear back from someone because it took care of the problem and they've gone on to mm-hmm. live their lives and not have that recurring pattern continue to undermine their lives. Right. Well, you know, um, I didn't hear this from you. I heard this from um, some other ancestral healer. I think I happened to hear uh, in a podcast, but they were talking to someone who in this life um, had a, a, a problem with their stomach. And um, and I think they had gone to the doctor and didn't really have a lot of luck, uh, but they did an ancestral healing, found out that their great-grandfather or someone had actually, I think, been shot in the stomach or something, something or other, and um, they were actually able to bridge, um, bridge that. And, um, and the, you know, the person in our time was feeling that in his stomach because of his great-grandfather, and he went back and spoke to his grandfather, and I, I don't remember all the details, somehow made it right, helped him, um, and his, you know, his stomach issue went away. I mean, um, is that a typical sort of scenario? So I'm not going dis- to that certainly I've heard about things like that. It's not exactly how I do the work I do um, because there's many ways, just like, you know, there's many ways to do lots of things, many ways to cook. Right. And Mm -hmm. everybody has different kinds of recipes. Some of the people are very exacting about their recipes and some are, are not. So a lot of my work and probably because of my own distaste for talking to my family, (laughs) Um, I won't talk to any of them, but, you know, there's some that I just don't care to. I don't have a lot of direct connection with the ancestors to heal work. Um, I love making jokes, so hopefully nobody's turned off by this, but I I say the trash man doesn't need to know what's in the black can to take it away. And so, um, (laughs) and, and, um, it used to be where I had to go look for things. So having very specific things to look for made the energy work easier. Um, but I, um, early on in the pandemic, I took a, a, a workshop with Daniel Four. Um, that's Daniel F O O R. Um, he has a website called ancestralmedicine.com, um, and he wrote a book. Um, I'm going to make sure I say it right because I always stumble over it. Um, Ancestral Medicine Rituals for Personal and Family Healing. And what you're describing is in that book um, of a way to work on more direct individuals. Um, Mm -hmm. But um, he provided a practice that perhaps we'll have a moment and we could do in in this conversation. Um, It's about a five-minute practice. Um, 
that I do, I use it in a lot of different ways. It's a very flexible um, practice. But before I see a client, sometimes before they even show up, and if I haven't had a moment to do it, when they show up, I do it. Um, And that is where I go speak to my ancestors that I have a connection with. And I say, this is my client. Can you go check in with their ancestors? And, um, And that way we're more effective. And that has transformed. That's one of the hugest changes in my practice, in, in, in my everyday life, uh, in almost everything I do because I use that tool. Um, and I, I use the, the expression, the bags are packed at the door because the ancestors mm-hmm. know where the problems are. They know what's mm-hmm. causing all the issues. And the minute, because I use a system where I open people's chakras, used to be I'd have to pull and pull and kind of feel like I was digging out, you know, like digging out a festering uh, um, a sliver, you know, like a, 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 a wood sliver in your skin and mm-hmm. not where splinter. it was just at the top, but a splinter where it was dug in. You have to kind of dig it out with a needle. That was kind of the idea I felt like I was doing. Now I open it up and it's like, here, will you take this? Thank you. By all means, we really appreciate it. Boop, there. And it's done. <laughs> my work there's very little effort on my part other than opening the the ability to have that done and it certainly makes it easier uh, on everybody and is more effective um but i'm not going to discount when there's a recurring issue that causes um that that is very very specific like that stomach issue you know, I have mm-hmm. I have um, stomach issues, but I've I've worked on it with my ancestral work. But it really has a lot more to do with my emotional stability and my anxiety that causes my stomach issues. But I'm sure that my ancestral work has had a, a, a huge effect on my physical being as well, because I feel like I'm stronger and more stable, um, and not so easily undermined. So yeah. I'm not going to discount that the work I've done, I've done the work on my own family for over a decade now. Um, and I've yeah. been doing it publicly yeah. since 2018. So so would you say that, um, you know, the the world out there at large um, has a better understanding maybe and, and trust in this as an, an actual healing modality? Well, see, that's, that is one of the, also one of the big changes since the pandemic. Um, when I first started doing things publicly um, in 2018, and, and um, you were part of helping me um, make sure my presentation uh, was understandable to somebody who had never heard of it. And in 2018 and 2019, I needed to let people know what we were talking about. Recently, in November, I did a pardon me, in October, I did a class in Whittier, um, and I had a, I had a, the the room was sold out, it was a small room, but the room was sold out, and I didn't have to explain to people what I was talking about, because (laughs) the, the idea of ancestral trauma or intergenerational trauma is in the common vernacular these days, and there's a lot of conversation about it, and I'm 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 delighted because there were only a handful of people talking about it in 2018, and no yeah. one in LA County was publicly talking about it, which is why Spirit said you need to do this, and this is your job right now. And now I kind of go, oh, I can point you this way and that way. Uh, Daniel Ford that I mentioned before is uh, at at that time he in 2018 he had just written a book. Um, that I have read since the pandemic because I did the workshop with him. Um, And uh, the workshop I did was not actually a learning practice. It was a community practice. Um, It was working to help the unborn dead during the pandemic um, where there were so many people dying so rapidly without being mourned, without family. They were alone. Um, It was terrifying for the whole world. And there were over 1,800 people in 32 countries on this Zoom call. Um, and not all of them were on well, the Zoom call. Some of them listened to the to the recording, but we regularly had between, I think, 600 and 1,000 people on this Zoom call. 
it was powerful, amazing work to be doing uh, that also butted up against the um, the situation with George Floyd um, and the Black uh, Lives Matter movement. Um, and it overlapped during that, which also brought in a whole nother level of community trauma that needed to be dealt right. with. And uh, it was quite an 11 weeks of doing that work, <clears throat> followed by a second uh, a follow-on class that he did, a workshop that he did for another 11 weeks. So, Well, you know, you stop and think about all the things that have happened in humanity's history. And, I mean, look, I mean, we don't have to go back that far even. Uh, you know, you just mentioned, you know, George Floyd. We had, you know, slavery in the United States and, you know, the tra- the trauma that people went through being uh, kidnapped from their own country and, you know, shipped over here and families separated and women raped and, uh, you know, slaves beaten. And you think of the Holocaust and you think of the genocide in Rwanda and I mean and now what's going on in Gaza Uh, I mean there's so many things um, and all of that and and, in the pandemic even the the grief and suffering everybody went through in the pandemic I mean we must just be awash in trauma Um, and you know I don't think I realized it till I sat down and wrote normalizing abuse uh, just how awash in trauma we we actually are, um, because I think we only think about well what's happening to us today and in our life, but we don't you know we don't realize that that other stuff affects us too. Maybe if our you know family was in Dachau, or maybe if our family was um, a Nazi, for instance, or you, you know what I mean. I mean, can you speak to that a little bit? Well, it's kind of interesting when you talk about that because part of the conversation about intergenerational trauma often focuses focuses on the African diaspora or um, indigenous communities. And when you look at those situations, they're horrifying and they're horribly traumatic. We're not going to – certainly not going to under under, uh, state that in any way, shape, or form – but one of the interesting things is both indigenous communities uh, in this on this continent and around the world, including those in Africa, many of them have uh, practices that they used for thousands of years to work with their ancestors and deal with trauma as it happened or, you know, after, relatively close to after that happened. But our communities, our, our society, um, separated them um, from each other, from those practices, um, made them illegal, um, uh, punishment for them. And there's a lot of talk about this intergenerational trauma because of that. And you're looking at two to four hundred, two to six, let's say two to six hundred years back where that happened and they've lost those connections. Um, I will posit that I've dug deep and part of the actual even done with my family is that certainly with um, Northern Europeans, um, and I can specifically speak to Britain um, because that's where my family comes from, is that the trauma that separated them from those practices and those um, uh, communities happened 2,000 years ago. Um, I lay a lot at the Roman Empire and their um, process of um, destroying and assimilating and uh, making into Roman citizens um, these communities as they moved north in through Europe and to Britain. Um, that is about 2,000 years ago. I often reflect on if anyone's heard the story of Bodica, and I'm actually wearing a shirt with her on it today. Um, she wanted to be remembered. Is that that is the era when Rome came to Britain and separated all that, and that the the colonization that Britain is known for and the colonization that the U.S. is was part of and then continued um, is a reflection of those those traumas that happened 2,000 plus years ago, <clears throat> and I think that a lot of that work um, and the lack of 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 
resolution of any sort, any kind of prayers for that, any kind of community working towards that, built trauma upon trauma upon trauma. And traumatized people traumatize other people. Um, And I'm really excited because we're slipping in uh, some work. I've, I've been having a conversation because, as I mentioned earlier, close emotional and spiritual ties is um, one uh, of having ancestors. I'm a U.S. military veteran. I'm an Air Force vet. And all of a sudden one day I was gotten to thinking, you know, veterans are all connected. I mean, anybody who's ever been a veteran, anybody who has ever been around us knows that there's certain patterns that we just fall into. Um, we have a lot of respect for one another in most cases. And um, and we support one another. There are veteran organizations and and communities around the, the country. And I get my care at the West LA VA. And um, I'm part of the Integrative Health Center. And so I started asking questions. And um, I'm looking forward to being a, a, a part of a specific PTSD clinic um, through the Integrative Health Center that uses acupuncture and other modalities uh, to help veterans. Um, and that, talk about physical, um, I've, I've been observing in the rooms uh, for a, a month or two while I worked on my volunteer status and um, the work they're doing in there, people who can barely walk, um, who have limbs that are, 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 are not atrophied, but locked up. Um, their range of motion is very limited. And I've sat in the room and, and um, watched some of this work resolve in ways that they've had range of motion that they haven't had for years. And yeah. um, so you can literally watch this being very focused on helping these traumas and many, not all, but many veterans come from families of veterans. My father was a veteran. My maternal grandfather was a veteran. Um, my maternal grandmother's family were in the Black Watch. And, you know, I can go back and tell you a, a number of people who were involved with the military. And so it's it's kind of an interesting and huge opening to see what kind of difference I can make in bringing that kind of healing work to that kind of larger community that I already care about. Right, right. All right, well, we're going to take a break. Um, and when we come back, I want to hear more about, um, you know, your agroecology and self-care and gardening. You know, we've kind of laid the groundwork for what this is. Uh, but, you know, but let's, you know, get a little bit more into um, uh, the healing work and stuff. And I want to make sure we save a little bit of time to do that exercise uh, you mentioned that, ta- that takes about five minutes. So uh, we'll be back uh, and uh, talk to Crystal more. Uh, but first, uh, we have a word from Joe Carson here. Let me say a few things about Joe Carson's film, Dancing with Gaia, an exploration of Earth-based spirituality shot at sacred sites around the world. Here is Drusilla Pettibone on Dearmist.com. I was truly touched and even awed by the film. I really appreciate that there is so much substantive information to digest. For example, the info about hinges and tracing the horizon line is all new to me and totally fascinating. The film was very beautiful, and I was amazed how it was able to capture so many of the descriptions visually and seamlessly connect vintage footage with modern. I especially loved when images were dynamically superimposed on each other, like the lace with the water and the dancing in the flowering meadow. A visual feast, and with so many layers. I am also pleased to have been introduced to Monica Shu and her work, It's so important for pagans to become aware of our heritage. It seems easily lost among so many new books. 
and the film really brought me home in a new way. Dancing with Gaia is available at dancingwithgaia.com. here today with uh, Crystal Rains, and uh, our topic is uh, ancestral healing after the pandemic, and especially uh, talking about how um, this modality has grown in awareness, and uh, Crystal herself has been extend, expanding her um, the many tools she uses, I believe, to uh, do this ancestral healing work. And uh, that's what we're about to get into a bit here. Um, so, Crystal, you, um, I think you tie your agroecology and gardening and work with the earth to um, the ancestral healing. Can you tell us how that all works and, you know, how it, um, you know, it, it helps the process? So, one of the things to remember is that um, we are made of the same star stuff, the same molecular structures um, from the stars that um, the earth, the plants, and the trees, and the rocks and the minerals are. Um, they are in different constructs, obviously. We're very different than a rock or a plant. Um, but we're made of the exact same hydrogen and oxygen and nitrogen particles. And so connecting with what I learned to be other than human ancestors was um, uh, that was something that came in that course with Daniel Four. um, And um, he had a guest speaker, um, and I'm going to remember her name, um, uh, is, we're not going to see her name on her website, but her website is microanimism, and she is a microbiologist who is also an animist and sees the spiritual uh, connection with all beings, no matter how small. And um, it made me start thinking about how working in the soil, there are actually, um, and I'm not going to be able to speak scientifically to this, but there is some... Um, Things in soil. Um, I'm sorry, what? Oh, you said you wouldn't speak about it scientifically, but maybe anecdotally. Correct. So there is something that um, when you have your hands in the soil or um, when you're around in nature, that there's um, a, 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 like a photosynthesis, some kind of um, ex, uh exchange between the plants and the soil and us where they connect and um, you know in the soil and the microbiome and stuff like that has a direct connection with human beings um, which is why it feels good when you work with your plants or you work with your your garden and it really you know during the pandemic when we couldn't go anywhere um, I went into my backyard and um, it had been something I had been trying to work on and trying to work on, but there were always distractions. And when there wasn't distraction and I had a friend who I invited to help me work on it but lived in an apartment, it shifted my entire um, space. Um, and I go back there and, and it's so healing. That's actually when somebody comes to see me in person, almost always the healing work is done on a, zero gravity recliner in my backyard and most people come back there and they just think it's magical me i can see all the messes still but there it, it, <laughs> it's a very overwhelmingly inviting space for healing um and um i'm i in my front yard and some in my backyard i have california native plants i believe that that's a direct rematriation and healing of the biome that belongs at this part of the world um, this part of the world isn't meant to have lawns um, or even rose gardens, for that matter, despite the fact that I like roses and there are a few in our yard, um, that 
they are um we have a very specific um beautiful selection of plants that belong in this biome and that they should be here and the more we put them in the ground um the more healing we're doing to the soil the environment the air um i had somebody who asked me because they knew i i talked on native plants they asked me to do something on co2 sequestration and native plants um at first it took me some time because my normal resources weren't providing that information and it's not publicly available very easy but there are some research studies a number of them that have some of them are about 30 years old and some of them are very new um and they all uh, say that california native plants sequester 40% more co2 than your typical landscaping plants and that's whether they are intact uh native plant areas or restoration areas both of them they've found that so in the process of doing some work um i do some classes on some free classes around some in california in the seed library of los angeles and at a particular native plant nursery pardon me plant nursery um just below the jpl site uh in pasadena called hahamunga and um in doing some research i found out about this agroecology course and to be honest i didn't even know what that word meant um but it really is more of a socio connection with how we interact with the natural world and with our food systems um and i found a course that was funded by the usda um and as a veteran i was eligible um and it's based on some concepts that are shown in something called the flower of ecology um it was a process uh created by a university in mexico and they call it nictaha um i am a monolingual a uh, person so the flower of ecology is written uh in um translation is in an outline form of six concepts with six subconcepts underneath there but food sovereignty food systems participatory action land defense sustainable agro system agro ecosystems and agro agroecological practices are the main petals and then there are, are each of those have six more so you're talking about 36 more concepts um but california native plants edible and herbal support through those plants are some and community education are my particular focuses in um that work but it it's it's so much more than that um and i thought i was going to learn how to make more things grow in my yard and when my teacher came to visit my backyard cuz i wasn't very far from one of our sites um he walked in the backyard and he just looked at me and he says well you're already doing it because i have a mixture of herbs and edible plants and trees and california native plants throughout my backyard um and it's woven together hang, hang on a second Mm-hmm. um um before before this turns into agroecology how does this tie back <laughs> to ancestral healing <laughs> no so that that so i'm rematriating and healing both my own um systems uh, my family on three sides of my four sides of my family are farmers and i was disconnected from that so that's part of it and uh and then bringing native plants into um uh the not only into my own yard but into sharing them with the community is all part of a healing practice that heals some of those damaged disconnected systems because of our society and it goes back to the idea that we're all connected correct okay um and and so, that and that inner connection between plants and human beings and stuff yeah okay um now you were going to tell us um you know when you and I talked about what we were going to chat about um in 
uh, you were going to talk about leaning into difficult emotions and cognitive dissonance around ancestral healing issues. Was um, what did you want to say about that? That um, maybe you haven't already. So. Um... Leaning into difficult emotions is a, a skill set that I have learned through a number of mental health programs at the VA. Um, one is dialectic behavior therapy, and there's a website called DBT uh, for dialectic behavior therapy, selfhelp.org, um, that has a section on leaning into distress tolerance and leaning into difficult emotions. Um, also part of mindfulness and mindful self-compassion. Um, those are also skill sets learned in those practices. And cognitive dissonance is that, well, the world is this way, and this is the way it always has been, and, and, and we shouldn't question it, or it's hard to question it. Um, this is the way the world works for me. And when we're brought with information that contradicts or conflicts with that uh, self-identification or societal identification, a lot of times there's a lot of resistance, um, and the term for that is cognitive, cognitive dissonance, and it's because it's so uncomfortable that our emotional and our, our physiological systems basically kind of shut down. But when you learn some of the skills that you can find resources online about or in these courses, um, it gives you um, some compassionate exercises to care for your body that will settle that emotional. It helps emotionally regulate when you come across information that contradicts your own worldview. And it's made a huge difference in me being able to lean into difficult emotions. When you start doing native plant information, you start learning what happened to indigenous communities. It's nauseating sometimes. Um, when you start listening to what chattel slavery was like in the United States and in some of the other colonies or, um, you know, the Caribbean, it's terrifying, literally terrifying. And you want to shut down, but the more transparent, as one of the things you said at the opening, the more transparent we are, the more we understand, the more we have the opportunity to go, this isn't right. How can we make that heal? How can we um, make changes? Um, and I find that um, those skill sets have allowed me to focus on some of the more difficult problems, be more supportive in social justice movements. It all ties together. And that lack of transparency, the reason they want to shut down books and information is, you know, if, if, if people start becoming more aware of the traumas and the difficulties and the horrors of our historical past, we might make changes. And some people right. don't want those changes made. <laughs> and right. making yeah, those it, changes it, are as much a part of our ancestral trauma healing as, as um, saying a prayer and having a cup of tea with my grandmother. Right, right, all of it works. Well, um, we are starting to run short on time, so uh, believe it or not, it's already ten to uh, ten to the hour. So we've been uh, we've been chatting about this for about fifty minutes. But I I want to do two things and get your input as well. Um, I want to find I want to give you the last word, so to speak. Um, and there's probably a lot we didn't have time to cover. But is there anything I haven't thought to ask you that absolutely needs to be said about this? And then, if you still want to do that little five-minute healing practice, um, I thought we could end on you know doing those two ideas. What do you think? Well, I honestly think that the, the practice is probably the best. And once we've done it, if there's a moment to say anything else, that, that the, the practice has transformed um, my work and, and has been one of the best tools to be able to share with others. Um, so okay. let's, let's drop into that and see if after I've described it, it shouldn't, because um, there's a little intro and a little exit. So the first thing is I'll ask those who are listening to pick two things, and please use the ones that first come to mind. We need to pick a trusted spirit. That can be an angel, an ancestor. It can be 
a deity, um, whatever works for your cosmology. And I want you to pick something other than human, not animal. So a mineral spirit, um, a tree or a plant. Sometimes I connect with um, the tree in my front yard. Sometimes I connect with rose quartz. Those are just two examples. So think of those two things before we start the um, practice and know that you can't choose wrongly um, because it's short. You can do it over again. Um, I will also say um, that this practice is found on one of my um, uh, blog posts. Um, It's my longest blog post, and and if you need to revisit it, um, it is uh, in one of them. So what we do now is take a deep and let go of all that we've discussed already and breathe out. Take another deep breath and um, let go of whatever you've been doing today or what you're going to do. And a third breath, just be here now. Feel your sit bones on your chair, the back of your chair, your feet on the ground. And as we take deep breaths, we ask for that trusted spirit to clear us. That can feel different for different people. For me, it always feels like a swirling around me. And after that, we ask them to clear the space around us. And then make a connection with that other than human spirit. Rose Quartz is my primary healing partner in most of my ancestral work. I use her at all times. So I have to connect with her at this time. And once we've made those connections, we're going to step over into the astral around the world fire. The world fire can look different for different people. Um, For some, it's a beam of light or starlight. For some, it's a bonfire. But we'll meet up there around the world fire with our trusted spirits. And as we stand around that world fire behind us, and not right behind us, but maybe 12, 15, maybe even 20 feet behind us, there's that liminal space where the light and the dark meet. And that liminal space is where we're going to invite your ancestors to encircle us as we stand around the world fire. And most people's ancestors have never been asked to come in this way. So for a moment, it will give them a moment to settle in and uh, come in. Um, And as they encircle us, um, once again, that is not right behind us. It's about 15, 20, maybe even more than that behind us. But we're going to do a short discernment exercise. And that is that we will ask those who are well healed and resourced to take one step forward. And as they do that, it's no judgment. It's just to see who has the resources to assist us in any ancestral work. And in that same um, mental capacity of discernment, not judgment, we ask those who are in need of healing to take one step back, just so we can discern what work is there to be done. But we're not judging them. Uh, There's not much they can do from their position. There's not much. uh, They've made choices that that they've had to live with on that side for a long time. I've also learned that sometimes there might be a few that are in the middle. They're not well and they're not in need of healing, but they're not well resourced. So they just kind of are floating in the middle there. And at this time, um, I'll give you one moment uh, because you can go and do this again. Those who are well healed and resourced may have a message or a gift for you. Um, Please know that you have free will. You do not have to interact with them if you don't want, but it will give you one moment to have that interaction. And at this time, I'll ask you to thank them, and I thank you for participating in this um, exercise. And we'll bring ourselves back into the room, into the space where you're listening to your podcast. And um, take a deep breath, wiggle your fingers and your toes, and open your eyes. Um, I will say that that exercise has been the most powerful tool to shift my work. Um, And I was gifted that in 2020 from Daniel 4 in that um, it was a, a... practice called Bring Out Your Dead Ancestral Medicine for Poxy Times. 
Um, and I value and appreciate that and always like to give that um, credit to Daniel. Um, one of the things, just by doing that, um, you've made a connection with your ancestors that you did, you may not have had before. Um, sometimes I go in and just speak to my well and healed ancestors and say, um, can you do some healing work? I'll be honest, one of the things that's different between us and our ancestors is we do have free will. So when we lend our free will, that little niggly stuff can be taken care of by them. I've had people have, um, at that time they may, the ancestors may say, you need to talk to somebody. I'm open to helping people individually, but I'm also very much about empowering people to be active participants in their ancestral healing journey. Um, Generally, I've never heard of ancestors saying something bad, so. Well, and, you know, and I think anyone listening to that and participating in it with us will probably be surprised, maybe, that the process is, um, it's, it's not so complicated. It's not like, um, you know, you have to have a hypnotist or anything like that. You're able to just follow along, uh, you know, hearing your voice and kind of doing those steps and you can recreate it for yourself, Right. Correct, correct. And um, so, tell us where um, it can be found on your on your website. I think you said, Crystal, if someone wanted so to if, um, do it again. Yeah. So my um, domain is ancestraltraumahealing.com. That will take you to a link tree um, link, and there's several links there, including one directly to my website. And the blog post is called Stones on the Journey. And there was a blog post that is, uh, it's a, most of my blog posts are like real quick reads. But there's one that's a bit longer because it's the entire text of a presentation I did. So it's a 45-minute presentation that can probably be read in about 25 minutes. And at the very end of that, um, you can see the, you, you will get that. And I haven't written a lot of recent ones, so it's probably maybe within the last five or six. Um, And the whole, I think there might be 30 or 40 um, things in that um, blog that also give you a lot of ideas of how I've found my journey and the various things I've done. Like I said, from a cup of tea to walking a a labyrinth and everything in between. Um, And hopefully that inspires other people to reach for some healing because the more we heal ourselves and our own ancestral lines, the the more active we are in healing our own world. Yeah. Well, Crystal, I just want to say you're one of the most generous people I know and you're a great healer and uh, you're a good friend to people. And um, I appreciate you offering this to listeners today, especially at this uh, stressful time of year and, um, you know, with everything going on in the world, you know, um, you know, life, life is challenging. So I want to thank you and uh, give you the last word here. Uh, is there anything you want to say to kind of just wrap everything in a bow? Well, I appreciate the opportunity. And if you do nothing more than, um, you know, that exercise once in a while, you're doing a lot more than most people for ancestral healing. And you'll really be surprised at the shifts that will happen. They may be subtle, um, but they're like ripples on the water. And I appreciate everybody who throws a stone in. (laughs) And if someone wanted to reach you to learn more or get a healing from you, what's the best way for them to reach you, Crystal? That ancestraltraumahealing.com, that link tree will get you to my Facebook, my um, my uh, website, and on both of those, my email address is available on there. Okay, great. Well, Crystal, thank you for the hour you spent with, uh, with us today. And, um, you know, I wish you and Richard a good new year, and um, I'm sure we'll talk soon. Thank you. Thank you. All right. So uh, one more word from Joe Carson, and then I'll be right back. This is from Jonathan Nightshade, a Gardnerian high priest of the Whitecroft line, 
a traditional craft practitioner and researcher, writing about Joe Carson's book, Celebrate Wildness, Magic, Mirth, and Love on the Feriferia Path. I love this book, how special this work is, and how appreciated. As someone who was young in the 1970s, and through the years, only found snippets of information on Feriferia, one of the first modern pagan paths, this book comes as an artistic revelation of the core practices of the way of the goddess and gods reborn for the next age of the Divine Maiden. She has clearly introduced the historical background, philosophy and ritual practices of the joyous wilderness mysteries of the fairy faiths, illuminated by the marvelous pagan art of Feriferia's founder, Fred Adams. I was very pleased that the high-quality production of this oversized volume makes it a collectible work of art, as well as a testament to the visionary philosophy of Fred Adams. I feel blessed that I received a copy. I will treasure it and look forward to the next book for more of the deep philosophy and ritual practice of Feriferia. Celebrate Wildness is a dense, art book quality, hardcover book. You can get it for just $45 from the Feriferia website at feriferia.org. That's F-E-R-A-F-E-R-I-A dot org. Well, as we end 2023 and start 2024, I just wanted to share with you uh, some of the shows that are going to be coming up uh, in the next few weeks. Um, I'm actually going to take next Wednesday off uh, and uh, take a break. Uh, So there won't be a show the Wednesday right after uh, New Year's, but there's lots and lots of stuff in the archives. If you go to Voices of the Sacred Feminine on Blog Talk, uh, there's lots of stuff you can hear. And I'm sure there are things uh, on some of the other platforms we're on, like uh, Spotify and Amazon and Apple. I'm sure there's shows there that you haven't had a chance to listen to yet. But uh, that following week, uh, the 10th of January, I am going to be talking to Elizabeth Ashley, and uh, she's written a book uh, about uh, the Melissae, which are the bee priestesses of uh, the Greek goddess Demeter. And uh, then I'm going to have Dale Allen on the show. Uh, You may recognize her name. I'm not sure. Uh, She's been around for probably the last 25 years uh, talking about the divine feminine. And she has a one-woman show out there called In Our Right Minds, guiding women to their strength as leaders, leading men to strength without armor. Uh, so she'll be with me on the 17th. Um, you're going to have just little old me um, the the following Wednesday, and I'm going to be talking to you about my experience in the Hypogeum in Malta, uh, and our topic is dreams, dreaming, and inspiration. And uh, the last Wednesday of January, uh, Mayor Cromwell is with me, and uh, she's the woman who puts together the Thousand Goddesses um, Global Grid. And we're going to be talking about uh, weaving a global divine feminine field of healing. Uh, So that's what's coming up in January and uh, some other good stuff already on the agenda for February. Uh, There's going to be a day we talk about uh, gratitude as our superpower. Um, Then another day we're going to be talking about Demeter. Uh, Lots of good stuff coming up, and I hope you will tune in. And I just want to say thank you, dear listeners, for your listener loyalty. I know these days there are an awful lot of podcasts out there, and um, believe me when I say I certainly appreciate uh, when you tune in to Voices of the Sacred Feminine. So as I always do to end the show, um, in an homage to Sekhmet, Uh, the lion-headed Egyptian goddess who teaches us to say no without guilt or shame, who teaches us uh, fierce compassion. Um, Give her a listen, and uh, I will say adios for today and for the year. Bye-bye.